What's an educated mama? Hello, I'm Ryan Jordan, and welcome to The Educated Mama. During this podcast, we will learn from experts, entrepreneurs, creators, and leaders who are also mothers responsible for all the things. Let's celebrate women, learn a few mom hacks, and discuss the beautiful mess of motherhood. We're all learning together, right? Today's guest is Selena Caesar Chavan. Selena was already a breaker of boundaries as a black woman in business, got into politics because she wanted to make a bigger difference in the world. But when she became the first black person elected to represent Whitby, Ontario, she fought a different battle of dismantling racism with women in politics. Her powerful memoir and leadership book, Can You Hear Me Now? discusses her childhood and how leaders grow from their mistakes. Let's meet our guest. Hi, Selena. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, hello, Ryan. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yes. I'm so grateful to have you here today. And I just wanted to let all of our listeners know that the first time I was introduced to you was a women's retreat for the Jane Club. And it happened during the pandemic as everyone was coming out of the pandemic and looking for a little bit of love, a little bit of relief, a little bit of support and inspiration. And let me tell you, after I heard you speak, I had chills. I was so inspired because Oh my god, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> about your journey in life when you think you've made it. And we've yeah. all had those moments in life when we're like, and now I've made it and I'm gonna be happy. And now I've hit this moment in my life and everything's gonna be wonderful. But the moments that have built you, Selena, are your challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I actually, I think I remember that presentation and I went through sort of my life's journey and it's like, okay, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon and it's like, yes, if I become a neurosurgeon, I'm going to make it. That is success. Cause my, my theme was talking about collective success. And I was like, yeah, that's so success. But then I, you know, failed out of university. So it's like, oh, so I guess, I can't do anything now. Right. And then I started a business and I was winning awards and speaking internationally. I was like, yes, success. And then I, I, you know, I had this feeling in the pit of my chest, like, is this really success? Is this what you want to be doing for the rest of your life? Just collecting the checks, like securing the bag, the whole, for the rest of your life. And then I got into politics and it was like, yes, this is success. And then I was also challenged. Like, do you just remain calm and play the role of like, you know, the nice docile woman who does what people say, and then you could be a minister that would be even more successful. Or do I speak up and challenge the status quo? And, you know, how do you define that as success? And I defined it by my values, the things that I held dear, which was so important. And I think that's where it starts is defining your values. When you think of your values, Selena, you know, in motherhood and business, because I find it ironic when people say, oh, I have these values. And I see that personally, professionally, sometimes they don't match up. For me, it's like I have the word light engraved into my wedding band. And each letter stands for an acronym because my values in my life as a mother, in my marriage, in my friendships, and in my business world are the same. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you feel your values are um, and that what grounded you in those moments? Oh my goodness. So my values are really around my authenticity, around 
um, ensuring that everything that I do is for the greater good, right? So beyond the self into the selfless. And I would say that one of my favorite essays that I've ever read is by Clayton Christensen. He was a Harvard professor and he, um, he died a few months ago and he wrote this essay called, How Will You Measure Your Life? And he says that, you know, people don't measure their life by the money that they make, but you need to figure out what yardstick that you use. And in the essay, he says that it's easier to stand by your principles and values 100% of the time than it is to stand by them 98% of the time. Once you just give in to just this once, I'll, I'll forget my values. Just this once, I'll leave my principles to the side. Then, you, then you'll regret where you end up. You have to draw a line in the sand and not waver. And so my advocacy is grounded on those principles, on those values that I hold dear, those values around truth and honesty and, and the, the fact that the power to change the world lies within each of us if we are 100% our authentic self in that mission. Isn't that the truth? Anytime I've swayed away from those authentic moments, I always say to myself, why? That, and you feel it, right? It, it's in your gut. It's in your chest. You feel that kind of icky feeling, you know? So that's great. I, it's a good reminder for all of us. And yeah. um, I want to talk to you about your book. Yeah. Can you hear me now? And I know that I, I always say to myself, I wonder how I should say that. And then I realized after listening to another interview with you, you said, that's what's so powerful about it. It's, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Like the way you yeah. said, there's so much inflection that can mean so much to different people. But I know mm -hmm. the book was also a family affair a little bit, like everyone was involved. So tell me about the creation of this book, the cover, the name, everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You've done your homework. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the book, uh, obviously I wrote it. I had a great team at Random House Canada. My editor uh, and columns was absolutely fantastic and posed the question, do you want this book to hurt or to heal? And it really helped me with how I decided to write the book as a book that helped people heal help not just myself to heal, but others heal. And, and, you know, towards the end, we're like thinking of, okay, what name, what name do we have for this book? And we are going back and forth. We cannot remember or think of a name for this book. And I put it out to my husband and he's like, can you hear me now? And it was just, it was like this moment of that was so clear. It was so crisp. It was like, you know, when, you know, when you're in that watching that movie and then, you know, it goes into slow motion and then everything suspends and can you hear me now shows up on the screen. <laughs> and we were like, yes, that's the title of the book. I said it to my editor. She's like, that's it. We're done. And then um, we're looking at the cover and you know, we're going back and forth on pictures. I had an artist come in and draw something. And we had all these like big fancy ideas. And my 16 year old looks at it. She's now 17, Candace. And she looks at it and she says, look, I want to, I may never read your book, but I want to buy it because it looks good. <laughs> so she designs the cover. And if you look on the inside flap, it says cover design and concepts by Candace Rain Chavan, who uh, got the contract with Penguin Random House to 
designed the cover for the book. And she said, she did read it, but she said, mom, if I never read it, it's going to be on my bookshelf because it looks good. I mean, aesthetically pleasing. Here we go. Yes. Teenagers, <laughs> right? Teenagers. And it looks good. So well done. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah, it was, it was re- it really was a family affair. Even, you know, when my, I have a 22 year old daughter, Desiree, 16, uh, 17 Candace and my 13 year old Johnny. But even when, when Desiree was reading the book and she read it throughout the whole process, when she got her, her copy, she's, you know, we have dinner to every evening as a family. We've, we rarely, rarely miss it. Although Desiree travels a lot. So when we can, we, we, we do. And, um, she's reading the book and we're like, Desiree, come up for dinner. You need to come up for dinner. She's like, Oh my God, I'm reading the book. I'm like, dude, you know how it ends. Like come up for dinner. And she comes up and she's like, my gosh, I hope Selena and Vidal make it. (laughs) I mean, it's like um, we we make it we're right here yeah yeah I mean that's amazing that's amazing that's a that's awesome especially when you have your children reading something you created and wrote and going on this journey it's different to be in the journey and then read about it later and yeah well she also said it was like reading the backstory of her life Mm -hmm. right so I've been always very honest with my my mistakes I wanted my children to know that I wasn't perfect And so I wasn't expecting perfection. I was expecting that the gift that the creator gave me in them was fully realized. And it for it to be full for the the gift of my children to be fully realized, they have to make mistakes. They have to have ups and downs. They have to experience the sweetness of joy and the bitterness of failure in order to live a full authentic life. And if they were afraid to do that because they thought that I was like this perfect being, I didn't want them to have that additional pressure. And so I just, I told them everything. I don't know if that was too much. I also told them that if they need to see a shrink at some point in their life, blame me, it's totally okay. when people say like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to, my kids are going to go to therapy after this one, mom of the year. And I'm like, you know what? I hope my kids go to therapy. I hope they have a safe space they can share because I'm not going to be the answer for everything. You right. know? So, Hey, I'm glad there's resources for our baby. And I don't know if what I'm doing is right or wrong or good or bad. I just know I'm doing the best that I can with the information that I have. Yeah. And so and I, and I, I do when, when, before my kids were born, I, I, I made a, a pledge that they were a gift. I didn't know how long that I would have them. I would treasure that gift. I would like, I'll let that gift give to the world and, and just be the most powerful present that they could be. That's beautiful. Selena, thank you for sharing with us. I'm going to pivot a little here and, and, yes. and go talk about, um, you know, one of the things you said in your book is one of the bravest things you can do sometimes is leave. And I know that when you left politics, it was a a pretty heightened emotional experience. So I'd love for you to touch upon that a little bit of sharing that about what it was like to quote unquote, have a seat at the table and then realize I am out of here. Yeah. You know what? That is, so have you read the book, The Alchemist? I have read The Alchemist, not for many years. It's on yeah. my shelf. I probably need to read it again, but I've definitely so, read it. 
Yeah, so I'm going to read a little piece of it. And it says in The Alchemist, it says, what you still need to know is this. Before a dream is realized, the soul of the world has everything that was learned along the way. It does this not because it is evil, but so that we can, in addition to realizing our dreams, master the lessons we've learned as we've moved toward that dream. And when I, when I read that, like I read The Alchemist after I'd left politics, and in looking back, I realized that that moment of being in politics, it was, so people say, you know, why didn't you stay? So I wasn't designed to stay there. I was designed to fulfill a certain part of my life and to give to people a, an understanding of what politicians look like, right? It's not the the white male, older guy in the suit, in the dark suit, it is anybody. And in order to be that anybody, you have to have the courage to, to get in there, to be tested a little bit. And I found that, you know, you know, people always say you have the seat at the table, but you know, Ryan, when you have a dinner party and you invite your friends you have, sometimes have to invite people that you don't really want there, but you have to invite them because you invited some other people. But you sit the people that you want to talk to the most really close to you. And some of the other people you sit further away because you don't really want to talk to them. Well, right at the beginning, I found that I was right beside the host in the prime seats. And then as I started talking up more and more about, remember I had two choices, stay, be docile and be a minister or speak up and disrupt the status quo. So the more I spoke about my mental health, about racism, about sexism that existed on the Hill, I started moving further and further away until I realized at one point, oh my gosh, I'm not even at the table anymore. I'm like on the periphery. And then in 2018, I realized I wasn't even at the periphery anymore. I was on the menu. And at that point, this is what I think I want people, but women in particular, to understand about leaving. I didn't quit. I made a conscious decision to leave because the energy, the love, the resources, the time that I was putting into that job was not being returned to me. I was not getting a positive return on my investment. The, the, the return to me was negative, even though I kept putting positive deposits into the bank, it was giving me zero money or negative returns. And at that point, whether you're putting a lot, your love into something, your time, your energy, your resources, it doesn't matter if it's a job, a relationship, a volunteer position, or reading my book, for heaven's sakes, if you're not getting that return, it's time to leave. And it's a tough decision to make because you want to continue to put your love in it. I've left the job that I really loved and I was good at it, mm-hmm. but it was time for me to walk away. Yeah. And what a powerful statement that is, you know, it's not that you were quitting. It was time you fulfilled the moment and now it was time to go on to the next thing. And yes. what happened, what happens? I, I'm always so curious, right? When someone leaves politics, Right. It's, it's a it's a heavy place to be. What happens next? Do you go into like hibernation for three months and heal? I mean, what happens after you leave politics? So that is actually quite brilliant, Ryan, because 
what I was told. So I left and in my book, I talk about the fact that one of my staffers said, you know, I really need to talk to you. She comes over and she says, you know, don't worry about what happens next. Your crown has been, she quotes Maya Angelou, she says, your crown has been bought and paid for. All you need to do is wear it and it will come. Whatever next is will come. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm type A personality. You forgot about me. I got to go. I got to like hustle. I got to do something like what? what's next? What do you mean? And I'm like, well, did your messenger, did your God give you a timeline for when I'm supposed to wait with my crown on my head? Like, what did he say? When? Like, is it September, October next year? And she's like, no, Selena, just wait, just rest. It'll come. And I didn't realize how much I needed to rest and reflect and take a deeper dive into my own spirituality. And I kept, I kept fighting it. I kept like fighting this urge to rest. And then what happened, Ryan, a global pandemic. So not only I was forced to rest the whole, it was like the universe was saying, okay, Selena. So we're telling you, we sent one person to tell you, we're telling you in your spirit, we're like, everybody's telling you to rest and you don't want to do that. Fine. Now everybody's going to rest. <laughs> so I was forced to rest and to heal from a very, very traumatic experience that was politics. And that's why I call it a painfully beautiful experience because I had to go through that pain to come through the other side to then do that self-reflection through writing the book, but also through that healing process to be able to come out on this side and say, yeah, I'm better for it. I, I, it's amazing how life <laughs> kind of happens and works the way it does because you asked and you received and you didn't even know you needed this. Right. And then the whole world went into this pandemic place and everybody's coming out of it slowly now. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, Selena, what is next for you? You've, you know, been an entrepreneur and you're a mother and you've done politics and you're a leader and now you're an author. Where do you go from here? What's next? So this question, I've changed the answer so many times, but I think you might be getting the closest answer to the truth on that, that I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've been really struggling with what I do next. I wrote the book and I've put my vulnerability, my truth, my love in that story, but I need to build upon that. And I think how you build upon that is allowing or giving people the tools to understand their power and their voice to find themselves, to form that perfect union with their imperfect selves, right? So it is actually what I say at the end of Can You Hear Me Now, which is on page uh, 261. So in the acknowledgments, the, the best pieces are in the acknowledgments and in the introduction. <laughs> I did that on purpose. But it says to the people of Canada and beyond, your value is not determined by your title and your leadership does not require a title. The power has always belonged to the people. It is time that the people realize their power. It is not enough to hear my voice. We need to hear you too. So my next is, in, I don't want to say inspiring people, but 
giving people the, the, the push that they need to recognize that everything that they've ever needed is inside them. They have the power to change the world. We doubt ourselves so much. We say that we can't when we know our gut, our intuition says, girl, go for it. You could do this. You got this. And we tell ourselves, no, no, no. I, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. So I want people to recognize how amazingly powerful and beautiful and gifted they are in anything that they pursue, whatever, whatever that is and however they define success. Mm. I love this next journey you're about to go on. And it's so full of authenticity in there because of us as women, many times we, our brains, and maybe I'll use I statements, my brain yeah. sometimes can go to, oh no, what could happen next? And even reaching out to you to be on my podcast, I had such self-doubt. And then I had to reframe my mind and say, Ryan, what's the worst that can, thing that can happen? She could ignore you or say no, or not yeah. yet. That's the worst thing that can happen. But you know what the best thing that happened to us? I got out of my own way and asked a question to be there for someone else. Because when Mm -hmm. I do these podcasts, I walk away learning so much. And so does my listeners. This is way bigger than the educated mama. This is a way to give back to people. I have to give you some snaps. I hope the snaps come through on the audio because you know what? I, I've, I've always said like in the book, in Can You Hear Me Now? I talk about the fact that stories are sticky and not everybody has had access to read the book. And maybe some of your listeners now have access to hearing me for the first time. So the, the, it, it has always taken ordinary people doing ordinary things to extraordinarily change the world. So this podcast is that platform, that ordinary thing that can be the spark that changes the world. So I thank you. It's not the other way. I thank you for allowing me to share my story through this platform. Because when we share our stories, we will have the empathetic courage that is required to change the world. And that could only happen when our stories are able to be told, elevated, shared, and then resonate in other people's hearts. That's the way it happens. And so thank you for using your tool, your power to change the world for the better. I'm just going to say amen to that. <laughs> like, Thank you so much. I'm so filled with gratitude that you joined me today. And I wanted to just give you an opportunity. Is there anything that you would like to share? Anything else you would like to give back to the community? Oh, you know, I just, I just want to say thank you um, to be, to, to give that, that gratitude throughout these last few years. I know there've been a lot of people that have been rooting for me, that have prayed, that have sung, that have cheered, that have, you know, pushed me on. And um, I just want to say thank you for that, because that gratitude is what drives me to want to give back, to want to say, how can 
women realize their power? How can they understand that, you know, McKinsey and McKinsey and company, which is a large global um, uh, firm said that if women were given the tools to realize their full full potential, they will inject $28 trillion into the global GDP. So it's not just an altruistic reason for me to do this. This is because women actually need to realize their power because they will they will change the world. Like literally. This is not a this is not a guess. This is actual reality. And so I just want to say thank you and use that that gratitude as fuel to give back, to continue to advocate and continue to advocate for the poorest and most vulnerable so that we never leave anyone behind. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Selena, for your time today. Everyone go out and get her book. Can you hear me now? And thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you had some great aha moments. I am so passionate about empowering women and I can't thank you enough for your support. If you know an inspiring mama or you are an inspiring mama, send them our way. Be sure to tune in every Wednesday and please like, follow, and subscribe to The Educated Mama. Write a review, leave us a comment, share this podcast with your friends. I'm Ryan Jordan, founder and CEO of Educated Nannies. You got this, mama.